0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Welcome back to the program. Uh, coming up top of the hour, Kevin Woodley from InGoal Magazine and NHL.com will continue the debate, which started yesterday, which revolves around who should vote for the Vesna Trophy. Goaltending is such a unique position, understood by few, although we all really think that we do understand goaltending, don't we? Uh, we'll pick up that conversation and a tour around the NHL in the net uh, with Kevin Woodley. Carell Amar will stop by as well. Uh, she's working with Cortex, uh, which is a representation company, um, and she's now heading up the women's hockey division, uh, newly launched as announced yesterday by Cortex. In the meantime, here to talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins, but more specifically the Quebec Peewee Tournament, where his son is starring as a member of the Junior Penguins. He is Colby Armstrong, and he joins me now. How are you, Colbs? How's Quebec City?
2: Well, that's right. Colby Armstrong here live in Quebec City, the real correspondent <laughs> for the Quebec Wee Tournament, the official correspondent. Uh, I'm doing great right now. I'm actually at a, <laughs> I'm at a rink. We're practicing today. Uh, we've been here for over nice. a week, uh, maybe just a week today. I feel like it's been a month, Jeff. Um, on the other yeah. ice surface here was Donald Brashear skating with his beer league crew. Uh, still looking as no. fit and as, good as ever. I, yeah. So I went over and said hello to him and Jeff, I got to tell you, it's the closest I've ever been to Donald Brashear. <laughs> now, were you,
1: were you terrified? Cause I, I, I would, I was going to say like, uh, would you like when you skate next to him in the NHL, you're probably terrified. <laughs> How was it saddling up next to him now? Does he still look as menacing as he did <laughs> back in the day?
2: He did. He does. He's really intimidating. I went in, I came downstairs to all the guys I him skating. I saw skating. I wanted to say hello to him, and um, I saw him skating. I saw I came in the dressing room. All the boys were loving it. You know, they're tracking out a few cold ones and, like, hello, hello, hello. And he was, yeah, he was intimidating still to this day. I, I let the boys know that, too. I was, like, this is the closest I've ever been to Donald Brashear, which was uh, they got a good laugh out of. But we're practicing today, Jeff, but it's been, it's been a grind here. At the Quebec Wee Tournament, I'll tell you. It's been awesome and a good, great experience, uh, but a grind.
1: This is one of the legendary tournaments in all of North America, the Quebec Pee Wee tournament. So, you know, one of the great, you know, one of the great stories of the Quebec Pee Wee tournament. I'm curious, you know, what sort of types of stories you've heard from some of the old timers that have been around uh, to see a lot of it. You know, Wayne Gretzky set the record for most points in the tournament in 1974. And then Thomas Vanek broke it in 1998. You know, we've heard of, you know, legendary wow. performances from, like, Mike Camilleri had a great, you know, Quebec peewee title. Like, essentially, the legends of the game have all come through this tournament. What types of stories have you heard since you've been there from some of the people that, you know, either uh, are there every year, some of the old-timers, people that have been there for a while, uh, people that you talk to, organizers? What are some of the, uh, the stories that people are sharing there?
2: well i gotta tell you one cool thing about you know going through hockey uh every guy i played with that did get to participate in the tournament uh, always loves to talk about it i'm sure you're aware of you know ryan whitney oh, talking yeah. about when he won it with the show, south shore kings in 98 um which is a big yeah. moment they always brag about how great of an experience it was and what it was like and who they played against and which guys were in it and You know, the longstanding tradition, as you mentioned, of ex-NHLers that had standout tournaments. Um, But most of the guys, Jeff, that I talked to, and this is really what it's all about. It's about going snow tubing, which was uh, we did it yesterday. It was amazing. (laughs) Everyone gets to go to the hill and go snow tubing, which they do a fantastic job. The trading of the pins and the black market that it is at the uh, Videotron Centre here in, in Quebec City. These pins, there's guys set up, like, you know, like the older fellas, the gentlemen, they have tables they have pins from, like, yeah. the start of the tournament. It's crazy. And they're, like, just, like, bartering with with 12-year-olds to get, like, other pins, but only to get the pins that they want, but not give away the ones they don't. It's, like, hilarious. It's wild. But um, those are the things that everyone that I played with that played in it or guys that I talked to that played in it, they didn't even mention the hockey, Jeff. They mentioned... Those types of things around the tournament that is so great, meeting other teams, yeah. meeting other kids from all over. I think there's like 15 different countries here. Um, and a really cool thing, yeah. there's a new girls division this year that's in there. So they have some really cool pins too. We had a team at our hotel from uh, England, a uh, girls team. So they nice. were busy trading pins the first day we got there. Yeah, and they, um, it, it, it's awesome. The mixing, the mingling, the just hanging out the rink all day watching games, and, and all the kids are just, you know, best of friends all over the rink.
1: Okay, so I got a text from a buddy of mine who's there right now. He has a relative who's playing, and I'll, I'll just read it out to you. Uh, he says, yes. the most sought-after pin at the Pee Wee tournament was for the Sifa Fury out of Moncton. Why? Because they were the first-ever girls' team to score a goal at the tournament, and um, the girl's name who scored the goal, Annabelle Mallet who comes out the star wow. as far as many are concerned, including myself, the first girl to score a goal at the legendary Quebec <laughs> Pee Wee tournament. So uh, that's that's your job as as correspondent. So you need to find the Sifa Fury and get a pin I will. from them. I know which that, team that is. I know I've seen them.
2: They may have been staying in our hotel. They may have been staying in our hotel, and how I know this is the Fury girls on their hoodies would jump in the elevator yeah. and and like like Elf uh, in the movie hit all the dang buttons and then jump off the elevator. So I was like, <laughs> oh my god, them. <laughs> like these Fury girls are killing me. I got to hit stop at every floor. <laughs> uh, but I gotta think, I gotta tell you, That's awesome. I gotta tell you, I think those pins of all the pins that are here and there's some really cool ones. The Detroit Red Wings. Uh, have Steve Eiserman hoisting a like these pins aren't like little pins you think that are just on your jacket. I mean, these are pins oh, that are like they're the huge. size, yeah, they're like the size of a belt buckle that you'd win if you won the national championship, uh, rodeo. You know, they're massive pins with That's Steve awesome. Eiserman holding a Stanley Cup with a signature. There's a big popular one, the Connor Bedard one from the North Shore, uh, oh, yeah. Winter club out of Vancouver. Of course, they have his pin. Um, and then some of these girls' team pins because it's a first year. I know for sure that that I talked to my son and his friends are trying to trade for a bunch of these pins. So they're pretty elaborate. It's pretty crazy. And there's a great history and tradition behind it here. And I'm glad I'm here because I only heard about it. And I couldn't imagine being a 12-year-old. There's a kid on our team, Jeff, I talked to after they played their first game on the Videotron Center ice. He threw up before the game. (laughs) I was like, you were that nervous. He was that nervous? Yes, it's just such a, it's just, there's such a buildup around this all year leading to this for these kids, right? And then you're playing on the bright lights and the cameras on and the jumbotron and they announce your names and it's just massive production. They do such a great job. I was just picturing like, oh my God, I couldn't imagine I was 12 playing in something like this. Well, I heard we got a kid got sick before the game because he was so nervous to go out there in front (laughs) of everyone. So... It's been, it's okay, been first honestly of all, and first of so, all hey the carnival the carnival Jeff, unbelievable as well.
1: Oh, yeah yeah. Well let me yeah, let me yeah, get let me get carnival back to the winter figure. festival. So that the, uh, the the barfing though, Colbs. We gotta talk about the barfing. So I mean that was yeah. like that's Glenn Hall territory, right? Like that used to be the big wick yeah. of you know how old goaltenders used to behave. Glenn Hall would be, you know, so nervous that it became almost almost ritual for him to to throw up before a game. You can understand mm-hmm. these guys are you know facing, you know, yeah. slap shots and high shots and they don't have a mask. Was this player who barfed a goaltender by any chance?
2: <laughs> no, he wasn't. He was like one of our like pesky forwards that we have. I'll give him a shout out, Carter Shue. Great kid, uh, and oh, I don't right. know, he was the only one that I heard that was um, that got nervous like that before the game, but I, I played with uh, C- Clark MacArthur with Toronto Maple Leafs, and I busted him a few times getting sick before the game with just, like, nerves, just, like, ho-hum. You know, this is what happens to him. Really? So, eh? um, yeah, yeah. I think it it's, it's happens to some guys, I think, before games where they just get so sick to their stomach, just the anxiety, I think, of getting ready to go and where you have to get your body and mind to, but... I think for these kids, there's just like a crazy, almost pressure feeling on this big stage here at this tournament that it's like, it's a lot, you know, it's a lot for them to handle. So I think they do a good job at this tournament inside of that with the pins, the snow tubing, the mixing and mingling to make it what it's supposed to be really. And that's the fun part, right?
1: I love it. I, I just love it, Colbs. I, I really do. Now, I you know, you're there with Cruiser, so you're an ex-NHLer yep. there with your son. Uh, we talk so much about second-generation players, but normally it's under the umbrella of second-generation players that have made it to the NHL. But have you uh, have you bumped into any ex-NHLers and their sons playing in this tournament? Um, or I should say daughters as well, because as you mentioned some of the, the, yep. the girls' teams are in there too.
2: The only guy that I can think of that I've seen so far is Nathan Page, and he was a defenseman. He played for the Buffalo Sabres oh, yeah. for a while. He's from my neck of the woods, out he, in Saskatchewan, and he had that. Uh, coaching he had a that, Rochester team. He had that old.
1: He had that old. I think Nathan Page was a uh, was a. Uh, he was both a defenseman and a forward. Played in the Sabres yep. organization. I remember with Rochester, he had one of those Easton two piece sticks with a wooden blade, and it was a straight blade. It was almost like Ryan Smith's stick.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and he was a good junior player too. I I think he played for the Moose Jaw Warriors, so yep. I grew up playing against him, and, you know, now he's here. Our kids are the same age and he's coaching his team out of Rochester. So there's it, it's it's been awesome. You know what we had to do one game too? We had to play a, like you, What's that? in between days, which is really cool. You play exhibition games, so you'll play like a makeup game and it's all set up and you know, you show up. Well, we were supposed to play the L.A. Junior Kings team, which we've played a couple times. So I was like, why are we playing them? Of all the teams that are here, you know, but guess what? Their equipment coming from, like, the tournament didn't get there in time to this rink that we are playing at. So the Swiss team had just finished playing some other team. So the Swiss team played us for one period, and then we played L.A. Junior Kings for two periods, which I thought was the coolest thing ever. I'm like, that's so cool. My kid's playing against these, like, kids from Switzerland. You know, like, when does that happen? And, the, you know, so this this tournament, Jeff, is like the pinnacle probably of a lot of these kids here, um, lives internationally, sure. I would say, to be able to do this and, yeah. and experience this. So it's a massive undertaking, but, um, yeah, it's been, it's been awesome to be here and experience. So if anybody out there listening, kids either been there, they know what I'm talking about, or if they have a chance to go, um, get ready. It's, it's, it's really such a cool thing that they do here.
1: You know what if uh, uh uh you know passing along here what would Cole be saying if anyone listening right now has had a Quebec peewee tournament experience, maybe you played in it, maybe your kids have yeah. played in it, maybe a relative, a cousin, a niece, a nephew have played in it um send it along, man, like tweet at me, hit me up on email show at sportsnet.ca. I, I love stuff like this like this you is, love this stuff yeah right I know. Hobbs. This, I this, do, man. This
2: is all you. I actually, I wish you were here with me because you're like so perfect. We went to the Quebec Ramparts game the other day. Also, uh, they played nice. a good beating team. on good team. Good team this year. Yep, really oh, good. They laid a beating on Drummond good. Drummondville, uh, seven to one or yep. something like that. So they were they were putting on a show for the kids, and um, yeah, it was great. I met a couple kids off the team. They actually got me and my family tickets to go to the game, which was. Honestly, really cool. bunch of Maritime boys. Hey, you know the Maritimers when we were out there. Love working it. Memorial Cup, Prospects game, all that stuff. They said, yeah, we will get you tickets. Yep. So um, it was really fun to go there. Everyone's trading pins, ripping it up. And I got it's some, awesome. uh, what, what are you guys, the Islanders? Yeah. I got the Islanders Hockey Club here warming up behind me if you hear anything.
1: Nice. I love it. Well, we got a, we got a punt. We're out of time. But great great job being our official Quebec PB Tournament uh, correspondent, Colbs. Yeah, you got the gig.
2: Yep. When you need another report, let Have me fun, know I'm man. ready to roll, buddy.
1: All right. Thanks, Jeff. Just keep texting. Just ke- text it along. Good. good. When, when's your next game? Tomorrow? Ah, we just lost him. All right. Uh, there he is, Colby Armstrong. His son playing with the Junior Penguins, playing at the Quebec Pee Wee Tournament. Hitting a break. Hour 2 is coming up. Kevin Woodley from Ingold Magazine at NHL.com. That was so cool.
0: Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Bourne. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Okay, so a couple of things following up on Colby Armstrong there a second ago. Colb uh, texts. Oh, this is leftover from last night. Just pounding poutine, bud. Mm, uh, yeah, he'll do that in Quebec City. And also, uh, his son's junior Penguins face off against the Montreal team, the junior Canadians, tomorrow at 11.15 as the Quebec Pee Wee tournament continues. Also, um, the team from Ukraine won their second game as well. So they are continuing, uh, and they've become one of the main stories coming out of the Quebec Pee Wee tournament. So that is very cool. Uh, Welcome to Hour 2. Kevin Woodley's coming up here in a couple of moments from In Goal Magazine. We'll we'll talk about net minding and net minding performances, and Kevin will correct all the things we have wrong about goaltending, most notably who should vote on the Vesna? a conversation that Wish and I had yesterday on the program, and we figure, well, him and I can go on about it and knock and butt heads, or we could bring in an expert, and whether it's the Valley Cat Mike McKenna or the aforementioned Kevin Woodley, we have access to some tall forehead and big brains here on this show. So uh, we'll use it. Uh, in the meantime, time for the random player of the day. Here's how it works. Uh, you think of a player in your brain at any time of the day, email it to me. I want to know who it is. Uh, show at sportsnet.ca. Uh, nominate your uh, random player of the day. Whichever one, you know, crosses through in between your ears. Player from today, from yesterday, from hockey history, from the way back machine, or one today. Um, all are up for grabs here on the program. Happy to entertain all of them. Uh, email it in, and we'll do our best to do the bio on the show. With that, we'll bring in Matt Marchese, our producer. Hello, Maddie.
3: Hello, Jeffrey.
1: Hey, uh, what did you think of uh, Colby Armstrong, uh, Quebec Pee Wee Tournament official reporter?
3: It was so good, and I was texting with Colby last night, and some of the stories that he was telling me about getting into it with a waiter. Yeah, at, at, oh, it's just like, it, yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> he's having himself some fun. How about that?
1: It's awesome. It's great, man. It's uh, I, I'm sure. Now, did you ever play in the Quebec Pee Wee Tournament when you were a kid?
3: No, no, I was never good enough for that.
1: You're never that good, eh? No. You not good enough no. for that one. No. you have any buddies that play? My buddy Ian Watson played years and years ago. I think I, Watson might have played the same time that Camilleri did.
3: I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't. I don't um, know have if anybody's any ever played. That play- I'm not sure. I'd have to honestly look back and, and see. I don't think I do, but I mean, I, I believe mm-hmm. my wife's. I think my wife's cousin played in the Pee Wee tournament. Michael Delzato with that Marco Waxer team. I'm sure they were in that tournament.
1: I, I, let me, let me find out at the next break. I'll send out a couple of texts, but I would imagine that they would have. Yeah. I, I think know G teams there. don't go, but that was, uh, that was OMHA for sure. Uh, who would have been on that team? Steven Samkos would have been on that team. Uh, the Gons Cody boys Hodson. probably yeah. would have been on that. Cody Hodgson would have been on that team as well. That uh, was, uh, just, I just, a got little, a text.
3: just a little bit stacked. I got a text, uh, our pal Mike Fuda played in the Quebec Wee tournament. There you go. Futes so Fut's playing on. Send him I don't know. I'm sure. Okay, I'm sure so you he'll do
1: then. What team what team did Futes play on? Futes, he, uh, send, yeah, send Maddie a note. Which uh, <laughs> which team did you did you play on?
3: This is very this is very good. Hey, he Get won to... he won the tournament, Jeff. He won the tournament, as he's telling me. Are you serious? That's pretty impressive. Ooh. So we have a win we know a winner of the Pee-Wee Tournament, Jeff.
1: We know a winner of the <laughs> Quebec tournament, man. This is pretty sweet. We're Rubbing shoulders here with uh, Quebec Pee Wee tournament royalty here, exactly. Um, actually, uh, when when uh, when Fuchs played with um, with with Henry Carr, we were mentioning this when we were in Owen Sound together. He played with one of the guys that I grew up playing hockey with at Warren Park in the west end of the city of Toronto at Lampton Arena, a guy by the name of Paul Sondercook, Cook, who I thought, like honestly, no joke, was the best hockey player I had ever seen in my life. I thought, like, because we all grew up playing with guys, you need to think, oh, man, this guy's, like, NHL good right away. Paul Saundercook was that guy. Paul Saundercook was that guy for me. I thought this guy was going to be a star. Yeah, I have, I have a couple a of those. Anyway.
3: Uh, he was yeah, with the North York do. Flames. North York Flames was the team that Mike played for. So there you go. Nice. A little bit of history.
1: Um, Mike, congratulations of- <laughs> on winning the Quebec Peewee Tournament in 19... 19- yeah,
3: exactly. All okay, right. Speaking of history,
1: what do we, uh, yes, who do we have for
3: Random? So today is uh, Terry Ruskowski, a, a native of Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. Um, he played for yes. the Houston Arrows of the WHA, the Chicago Blackhawks, LA Kings, Pittsburgh Penguins, and Minnesota North Stars. And he is a big part of hockey history, Jeffrey.
1: Uh, he, you know, he's a big part of hockey history. Um, he was... Like, there, there are some players that will captain one team. That's great. Some players will captain two. He was a captain of four teams. Houston, Chicago, LA, and Pittsburgh. That doesn't happen accidentally. Terry Ruskowski was one of the one of the great character players and one of the great leaders of the game in his era. So he made his, and you're right, he's from Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, um, played with those NHL teams, also played in the WHA. Now, there was a, there was a situation where the WHA's Houston Arrows essentially sold a lot of players to the Winnipeg Jets. Arrows would have won the Avco Cup in 75. Jets won it in 79. Roskowski was also on that team. He was one of the players that was sold um, by the Houston Arrows. Uh, a couple of things I mentioned uh, the captaincy in the off season. You'll dig this one. This is um, this is in the era where players had to like work in the off season. Didn't just live at you know the cottage, going to boots and hearts, and living at the gym all summer long. Uh, they had to actually work in the off season. He worked at Stroh's Brewery in public relations and sales. No, yesterday I, I shared that note about that guy in Calgary who who DM me saying that uh, Zarely Zalapski, uh, you know, showed up at uh, at his house trying to sell what was like water products or something like that. Um, that was his his off season gig after he retired from the NHL. Terry Ruskowski worked at Stroh's Brewery in Pittsburgh. Also, interestingly enough, you know when Terry Ruskowski's first NHL game was, Maddie was yeah. October tenth. 1979 first NHL game. He recorded two assists. His Chicago Blackhawks lost to the Edmonton Oilers four to two. You know who else had his first NHL game that day, Maddie? Uh, no, I don't. Wayne Gretzky, ladies and gentlemen, Wayne Gretzky. There we go. That was Wayne Gretzky's first NHL game. And Gretzky only had the one point in the game to Bruskowski's two. Um, Great leader, became a coach uh, in minor pro um, afterwards, uh, became a legend in Texas hockey, specifically Laredo with the Bucs. And one of the interesting notes here, and this is for both Toronto and Vancouver hockey fans, you could make the argument that Terry Ruskowski was responsible for Tiger Williams making it to the NHL. And here's how. As I have a uh, sip of coffee in my Elliot Friedman's source hockey mug, um, so Swift Current. So Swift Current's uh, 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 AHL, uh, uh, sorry, SJHL affiliate was Humboldt, and Terry Moskowski, Brian Trache, and Tiger Williams were all property of Swift Currents. But only Trottier stuck that first year. The other two went down to play for Humboldt, Tiger Williams and Terry Ruskowski. Uh, Tiger Williams, Dave Tiger Williams, was always a defenseman. This kind of like the Wendell Clark story here, who grew up always playing defense until the World Juniors, when Sherry Baston said, um, there's a spot on you on the junior team if you do two things, because our blue line's all filled up. One, you cut your hair, and two, you play wing. And Wendell said, okay, I'll show up tomorrow and I'll have my haircut and I'll play wing. Tiger Williams was also a defenseman. Terry Ruskowski and Humboldt convinced the coach to make him a winger and said, look, play him with me. Put Tiger Williams on my line. Let's make him a forward. Let's get him off the blue line. So you could make the argument because listen, he made it the NHL as a forward, as a high draft pick. Uh, played on a, a number of different teams. A real, you know, energy, tough guy. Became a legend with the Maple Leafs in that Sittler squad, Vancouver Canucks as well. In a legendary trade, it was because of Terry Ruskowski going to the Humboldt coach saying, "Let's make Dave Williams a forward." Stick him with me. I'll teach him how to play forward. The Tiger Williams ended up a forward, drafted into the NHL. And the rest, Maddie, as they say, is history. Oh, one more thing. Final thought here on, on Terry Ruskowski. His daughter, Jill, well, I think he has two girls. His daughter, Jill, was a really accomplished uh, university volleyball player. And she was on season 15 of The Bachelor. Jill oh. Ruskowski. Daughter of Terry Ruskowski. That is everything. Emptying the tank on Terry Ruskowski. Who sent that one in, Maddie?
3: That was Paul Cotter.
1: Paul Cotter, thank you so much for that one. um, For sending that in, Terry Ruskowski. I always get a smile with uh, Terry Ruskowski. He really. I remember he was with when he was with Laredo. um, He 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 shepherded Jeff Bess. And those that follow the OHL and those that follow the World of Juniors will very much remember that name, Jeff Best. Jeff Best ended up there as a player slash assistant coach with Terry Ruskowski. Anyhow, emptying the tank on Terry Ruskowski uh, to nominate your very own random player of the day, JM Show at sportsnet.ca, and we'll empty the tank on your random player of the day. And as always, one of my favorite things is after I do this, I get the DMs, I get the emails, I get the texts. If you have a Terry Ruskowski story to share, send that in as well. All right, uh, in the meantime. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, Carell and Mar will stop by, Cortex Director of Women's Hockey. Uh, in the meantime, I'm here to further our conversation of, well, who the hell should vote on the Vesna? Here to answer and solve that question is Kevin Woodley, our good friend from Ingold Magazine and NHL.com. Kevin, how are you?
0: I'm good. I'm good. I'm not sure it should be anyone that covers the Vancouver Canucks, though, because, I like... From a goaltending perspective, I feel like I'm in the fetal position at this point, the way this team defends. So every night I come home and sob myself (laughs) to sleep watching how they play in their own end. It's been tough.
1: Well, and that what's, that's what makes it so challenging when it comes to, when it, when it comes to, to evaluating goaltenders. Like, if you're watching on 360 right now, you can see over my shoulder, uh, I've got a picture of Gilles Malach. Now, my podcast producer, Amal Delich gave me this picture for Christmas. It's autographed. It's beautiful. It's Malach playing with the seals, and the jersey is great. And, you know, it's a wonderful, you know, picture of him, you know, a little bit of post protection, making a kick save and a beauty. I just love that picture. Now, Malach... Well, I've talked about countless times here on this show and elsewhere, to me it was always a great goalie buried on bad teams, whether it was the Seals or the Barons or a bad North Stars team, etc. I always wonder if this guy over my shoulder right now, Kevin, were are playing in the 70s with, I don't know, the Philadelphia Flyers or the Boston Bruins or the Montreal Canadiens or the New York Islanders, how would we be feeling about Gilles Malash? I'm guessing we'd be talking about him the way we talk about Ken Dryden and Bernie Perrant and maybe Billy Smith, et cetera, Jerry Cheevers, etc. Are
2: you so telling me I have a Gilles tattoo whether, on my arm?
1: Well, you, well, listen, I know you got a Ken Dryden tattoo on your arm. I'm saying, like, if if you, if Gilles if Malash were that guy, maybe you'd have a Gilles Malach tattoo. I'm, ju- I'm just saying... When you evaluate goaltenders, now I know Marty Berdur always said it's all about wins and that's it. It's just wins, wins, wins. Greg Woshinsky was on yesterday talking about this conversation he had with Ben Bishop, and he said the most important stat for goalies are wins, 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 wins. And that's a great yearbook answer, Jim. But what is the best way to evaluate goaltenders? Like when you look at the goalies, you mentioned Vancouver, I know they have a hard time defending. How do you evaluate goaltenders? What's the best thing or so? what are some of the best things to look at?
0: Like, I don't think you ignore wins. Like, I think they matter. You know, I heard you guys talking the other day about Martin Jones. Right? Like, and so what's Martin mm-hmm. Jones giving them? He's given them the low percentage saves they weren't getting. Right? The kind that uh, you know, and, 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 I, and I'd have to I should check, right? Because I'm using Clearsight Analytics and Stephen Balaket obviously behind that. And he gave me a stat a couple of years ago and I should, I should actually see if, if it's been updated or if it's changed. But well, basically, the stat was if your goalie gives up a low percentage goal, and the other goalie at the other end doesn't reciprocate a, with a with a stinker of his own, you lose eighty-seven percent of those uh-huh. games. And we all know what it does to a bench um, when one goes in that shouldn't go in. And so, yeah. you know, Martin Jones, his numbers on high percentage stuff, on the really really tough stuff, they don't jump off the page. They're they're pretty well below expected. But he's given them the saves on the easy stuff that they weren't necessarily getting last year. And, you know, that's what that team needed in that moment, especially early this season, you know, to not worry that every shot can end up in the back of the net. And it gave them the confidence to go out and play a game that allows them to get wins. And so you can't ignore it completely. Um, It matters. But at the end of the day, how much the goaltender is contributing to those wins, I think the environment matters. Um, I always say goaltending never exists in a vacuum, right? It's a function of the team play in front of them. And so when you talk about the raw save percentage, I mean, goals against average, I don't even think i would list that in stories anymore, but when you talk about Ross save percentage, Mm. man, it can be apples to oranges comparisons from team to team. So I rely on places that allow me to sort of evaluate, you know, the difficulty, the degree of difficulty of the shots they face and how they perform relative to that. Like to me, There is no perfect answer, Jeff, but that gives us the most context in terms of hey, how much is this the goalie? Like, forget like run support. Not all matters too. But how much of this, in terms of defending, is the goalie, and how much of this is the team in front of them?
1: Hang on, I want I want to back up to one thing here because that just blew me away. If a goalie allows a low percentage goal, allows a low percentage shot to go in and his counterpart at the other end of the rink doesn't reciprocate, the number is 87%? That yeah,
0: team and I got that a few years ago. I feel like I need a lifeline here to to, to tag Valley to see if it's wow. been updated, but that was the number he had a couple of years ago. And like, that, wow. like that's why those bad goals matter. That's why it's not so much timely saves on the tough ones. Sometimes it's the stinkers that matter the most, right? And so <laughs> we look at that. You, you can look at the overall, right? Like who's leading in adjusted save percentage in the league this year? Who's leading in goals saved above expected? But then there's also context beneath that. Like, um, you know, who's who's like there's there's value in dependability. There's value in not giving up bad goals. You can have guys that you know, like Jacob Markstrom last year, right? For example, had nine shutouts. And you know, I remember talking to Mitch Korn before, you know, he he was hired by the Islanders and couldn't talk to anyone anymore. And he used to talk about you know shutouts being a stat, you know. Um, that people used in Vesna voting and Vesna discussion. But if a guy's got a high number of shutouts and he's got the same goals against average as, as the other guy, the same save percentage, that means for those nine games that he was brilliant, there had to be nine yeah. where he was twice as worse. You know, so consistency matters too. And that's not a shot at Jacob Markstrom. It's just more that a lot of people sort of clung to that yeah. nine shutouts last year. And I'm not sure it meant as much, um, you know, unless they were all one-nothing games, I'm not sure it meant as much, Um you know, in terms of overall performance, you could argue it may have shown signs of a little inconsistency in terms of the ceiling being so good, but were there more lows, uh, you know, in other games to, to sort of balance it out?
1: Okay, let me ask you about some goaltenders specifically. This this is fascinating, and I'll I'll, I'll draw from my Gilles Meloche example over my shoulder here. Um, so, Mike Gajello, who's a, a good buddy of mine, uh, sports talk radio fans, uh, certainly in Ontario, will know him as Mike in Buffalo, um, great guy. You know, works, for, works for the Buzz, does his own podcast. So he texted me this or late last night. He said, "John Gibson is a latter-day Gilles Meloche. Agree or disagree, Kevin Woodley, the good the good goaltender." Playing in front of a challenging team. We're playing behind a challenging team.
0: Okay, I was going to say, I don't have enough context on Joe Malosh to answer that, but um he may be <laughs> over your shoulder. But, I, but despite your insistence, he's, he may be over your shoulder, but he's not going on mine anytime soon. Um, you know what? Yeah, like, like, absolutely. A bad team and in different ways, right? Like, yeah. Like, like, it's like Jack. they're trying to kill him some nights. Like I'm like, please, somebody save John Gibson. I want to see John Gibson on a good team. I really, really do. And it was different ways. They're terrible defensively. And so I have a theory that's a little tougher to prove, although I'm sort of living it right now with the Vancouver Canucks. I believe that poor defense okay. becomes cumulative for a goaltender. Like, I, I believe that a bad defensive environment has a cumulative effect over time, and it becomes harder and harder. Because so much of what goaltending is, is reads. And if there's one thing, I'm going to do a little Ingle Magazine yeah. quick sidebar. I promise it'll be quick. At Ingle Magazine, we sit down and okay. do video reviews with NHL goaltenders every week. It's called Pro Reads. Um, it was a little pet project yeah. of mine that I thought young goalies could benefit from. The first one we ever did was with Carey Price. I thought I knew how much information goalies process in real time when they're making decisions on depth, what post-integration they're going to use, what save selection they use. I thought I had an understanding. Uh The first time we sat down with Kerry, it was like mushroom clouds going off in my head. I could not believe the amount of information these guys process. Well, we're four years into that. I think I have like 170 of these online right now. Where it's, It's a goalie sitting down and explaining what he's seeing. And the thing that really blew me away about those reads, was how much of that information isn't just the shooter, what hand he is, how he's holding his hands, where the passing options are. Does he pass? Does he shoot? It was what my defense is doing. I trust this guy to pressure here, or I know this guy is cutting off this lane. And so when you can't trust that, it becomes so hard to play the position. And so... The analogy I used to use was the Edmonton Oilers when they were like, um, you know, chewing up and spitting out goaltenders left, right, and center. And then, you know, Devin Dubnik was no good there, but then he goes and look what he does in Minnesota. And yeah, Duby made some changes to his game and, and uh, adjustments under Sean Burke and changed some things in his training, um, you know, with a goalie coach up in Kelowna, Lyle, Mass. Like, there were a lot of things that changed, but also the environment changed. And I used to say in Edmonton, like, if you're supposed to trust your defenseman to get the back door, and nine times in a row, it doesn't happen. On the tenth, you're leaning. You you gotta start to cheat, because you can't trust that environment anymore. Like everybody else just has a job to uh. do. If they don't do it often enough, you start to cheat. And as soon as you cheat in this league, I just I was doing a video with Yarl Halak two days ago. Approaching three hundred wins in the NHL. Hell of a career at five foot eleven, by the way. And He talked about it like there was a clear backdoor pass coming, and so he he dropped his back foot to sort of set his angle early, but he's like, I can't leave early. Like, I can't. if you cheat in this league too much, he's like, I got a little hedge here with how I've come off square on the puck to sort of make sure when I make that push I got rotation, so I'm hedging. But if I cheat, if I go early, that guy's going to hold that puck and short-side me every time, and so you can't cheat. So Gibson's behind a defensive environment, much like I see here in Vancouver. Um, Like Colin Delia got called up first month or so like his numbers adjusted numbers were off the charts but over time that becomes hard to sustain Mm -hmm. because there's more seam passes than i've ever seen how do you trust what's going on in front of you i think gibson's been going through that for years in anaheim and then you add to that um the fact that for many of those years up until last season the first half they also couldn't score so you had the pressure and i've talked to ryan miller about this when he was there like the basically the pressure going into a game knowing that one might be one too many like there are so many things that make John Gibson's life hard in Anaheim. I know, there's game things about yeah. his game that I know a lot of people look at and say he's not going to be consistent. And the, There's things you can point about his game. I still think if you put him on a good team, he, he's going to surprise a lot of the naysayers. I just have this belief. And I know there's a lot of goalie people that think I'm nuts, but I believe in it. I, I just think that team has, like I said, that, some nights I watch it, I'm like, they're, just, they're literally trying to kill him. <sighs>
1: <laughs> okay, so you know what? You're making the Joe Malasch argument then. Maybe Mike Igello, my buddy, has got the great point here. John Gibson is the new Gilles Malach, because that's what he was stuck behind for so many years. And he was always an exceptional goaltender fighting against his blue line. You know, there's it's interesting, too, because as you're talking about this, I'm thinking to myself, you know, we have the debate about who's the greatest goaltender of all time. For me, I always throw Dominic Hasek at the top of that pyramid. Um, others yep. will tell you, Patrick Waugh and Marty Boudreau, etc. Some of the old, old-timers will tell you, Terry Sochik, et etc., and go go all, go all the way back. Um you know, Steve Magnus is is an interesting guy. He's the author of a book called Do Hard Things. And one of the points uh, that he's made that I read most recently is, you know, the we don't know the only the only one area of athletics where we really have a good feeling that we know who is the best is running because running really isn't dependent on um, access to specific tools or equipment or geography—like we don't know who the best skier of all time is because only a fraction of the population has, you know, access to, you know, places to ski and the ability to buy equipment. But he says, you know, everyone over the course of their life can figure out if they can run fast or not. Like everyone's got a shot at it, so we can be pretty confident that the world's fastest person really is the world's fastest person. We don't know if the world's best skier is really the world's best skier because not everybody has access to that. And if I want to personalize that for goaltenders, you know, not every goaltender got to play with the Habs in the 70s. Not every goaltender got to play with that New Jersey Devils team that Martin Brodeur got to play with. Not every goaltender got to play with you know the Montreal Canadiens in 1993, and then the Colorado Avalanche, etc. You see where I'm
0: going here. Yeah, can I add, can I don't I add know that can I, a flip side to that? Not every goaltender could. Yeah, of could. course. Not every goaltender could. Not every goaltender could be Marty Berder behind the New Jersey Devils. I mean, you know, I think I think the mm-hmm. one that jumps out the most, and this probably isn't fair to him, but, like, the example sort of just becomes too obvious, um, was Curtis Joseph. Like, Curtis Joseph, I can make an argument. I would make an argument about the Hall of Fame. Like, and if you put him behind a team that was given up 70, um, and, and overmatch in a playoff, like I like his chances, right? Like he was amazing, incredible, like stood on his head. He went to Detroit where the expectations yeah. were high and the shots were low, and it wasn't quite the same. Like Burger was insulated defensively, 100%, no questions asked. Like the Devils played a style that a lot of goalies would say they want to play behind, but not every goalie could. And the way he managed the game and the way he managed to read the game and maintain focus and sharpness behind a team that didn't keep him busy, the way he kept busy, the way he helped the transition because of his brilliance handling the puck, like not every goalie could. Mm. It's it's so funny. Like that's how complex the position is, Jeff. You can say, yeah, hey, to a certain degree, like as a goalie, you want to play behind a good defensive team. You're going to have better numbers. You're going to have more success. But even within that, not every goalie succeeds in a low shot environment. Not every goalie handles the puck like Pekka changing his game halfway through his career because he relied on being busy and the rhythm and timing of it and being like, man, I'm not busy anymore. I'm really struggling with this. I'm going to go out and handle the puck every I'm going to make saves behind the net slamming into the boards just so I can handle the puck and keep myself mentally engaged. Mm -hmm. Like not every goalie finds those ways. So it's, even an environment that you're like, hey, this is a good defensive env- environment. We have, a, we have a good defensive team. Any goalie will succeed here. I think there's layers underneath that you yeah. need to figure out because not every goalie will.
1: So, so the Pecorino example, that was the transition from the Barry Trotz coaching style to the Peter LaViolette coaching style that directly affected um, Pekarina there. So, so he, he, here's, here's ultimately becomes my question. And I want to ask you about who should vote on the vest in a second. Who are we missing the boat on? Like, consensus is we, we come back to the same goaltenders right now, whether it's Andre Vasilevsky, whether it's Igor Shosturkin, um Ilya Sorokin has very much entered the chat, etc., Connor Hellebuck, who, UC Saros. Who are we missing the boat on right now, Kevin?
0: Oh, that's a good question. I wasn't prepared for that one. Damn it. Because um, <laughs> this is my, you know, beginning of the year pick a guy. Um, I, I'm looking really good right now. Uh last this is a good morning to have me on cuz I picked Connor Ingram as the guy that Arizona should definitely go get off waivers this year and uh nice little 47 wow. save last what night. What a performance um, last.
1: He got so hang on. Two two, hang on. two two things about last night. I was making this point with Elliot. Ingram is the star, no doubt. 47 saves, spectacular. I thought Brian Elliott was really good too. Like I know it was only only 26 saves, but I thought I mean, I know yeah. that uh get Kelly There was a post. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it was a one nothing shootout. Uh, but I thought Brian Elliott was really good, too. But you're right. Like, Conor, like today's... If you're going to talk about Connor Ingram at any point this season, today's the right day to have you on.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, so, like, here are some guys that we're missing the boat on. Um, it, it is a good question. Uh, I think that... Uh, I don't know that for all the focus that goes on Elias Sorokin right now, I'm not sure we've recognized how good Semyon Varlamov has been behind him this season. Adjusted numbers are right there yeah. in a much smaller sample. Um, you know, so that's one, because uh, he's a guy that, if I'm not mistaken, is coming up on UFA. Like if you're looking for, is, yes. you know, a veteran sort yes. of guy who can anchor a team or maybe you have young guys around, Your young guys up and coming, but you want that experience, like Varley like can still play for sure. And he's showing it this year. Um, with some really good numbers in a small sample. After a tough start, Jeremy Swayman is really cooking again right now uh, for the Boston Bruins. And, and yes, it's the Boston Bruins, uh, but his expected, say, percentage, and it's because of the start he gets, right, that that's the job as a backup,
3: yeah. is, like,
0: almost 20 points lower than Linus Allmark right now, like, behind the same team, an uh, expected of 880, mm-hmm. whereas Linus' is 897. Um, so there's a guy that you know I've always sort of thought was up and coming, and, and after a has told me maybe to a little bit out of the gate, he's right there again. How about, just because most of the names are taken, how about Philip Gustafson with the second-best adjusted save percentage in the NHL? And, uh, and again, small sample, and this is the thing, right? Yeah. You can do it in short periods. It's the ability to do it year after year, but there's a guy that you know mm-hmm. I think a lot of people had as an afterthought in that trade who... Well, like I said, yeah. like like the only guy, the only goalie in the league with a better adjusted save percentage right now, and yet, like I said, admittedly small sample, but the only guy with a better adjusted save yeah. percentage is Linus Hallmark. That's how good Gustafson has been in Minnesota.
1: Awesome. Uh, let me ask the question then, uh, which is the reason I brought you on today, to consider a, a <laughs> continual conversation I had with Wasinski yesterday. I put forward the idea that there should be a a, a gold standard panel, just considering how unique the goaltending position is and how important the Vesna trophy is that, and listen, Brian Burke has made the point too. Don't leave it to us managers. We mess up on goalies all the time. I put forward your name and Steve Valliquet and Mike McKenna, et cetera, and there are more, but I think it should be a, a, a gold standard panel of people that follow it and the minutia of it and have a deeper understanding than the rest of us to decide on the Vesna, Who do you think conflict of interest be damned Kevin should vote on the Vesna? Uh,
0: just give it to Val, I don't want the pressure of being involved in this. Um, (laughs) honestly though, like I think there are a lot of really smart people around the position of goaltending. I think like, and I I heard Greg's point about goalie coaches and he's not wrong. Um, for sure there are biases there, but let's, let's not kid ourselves. Um, you know, there are biases uh, amongst the general managers. Uh, I have, their goalie, there are some general managers that are smart enough to ask their goalie coaches and, and for, mm-hmm. for, you know, who they think. They're not, they're not necessarily just going to go with that list, but they'll ask them who they think should be on that list. And there are some goalie coaches that will reach out to me about the adjusted numbers. Not for my opinion on who's the best, because they know a hell of a lot more than I do, but just to see what the numbers are. So, so I think this discussion starts with, everybody having a look at it doesn't have to just be clear sight. I'm biased 34 points of data. I think they do the best job, especially East West is so important in this game. Um, The best job, the slot line passes, they do the best job uh, of measuring that. They measure screens. I don't know anybody else that's measuring traffic the way they do four different types of screens. And so whether it's them and others or just them, whoever's voting needs to have access and and a little tutorial from Valaket on sort of how to process these numbers and what they mean um that to me it's not going to be per- still not going to be perfect right um but we're going to add context that a lot of the voters don't have and you're right on goalie coaches yes there could be biases towards certain styles towards certain guys but as i said like you know i once sent the numbers and like there was a clear-cut guy at the very top of the list that year and the goalie coach was like i'm not sure i can put him at the top of my list my gm hates him and he won't he won't look at he won't he won't use my list if he hates the guy. <laughs> and so, if you don't think the biases amongst goalie coaches, yeah. they may exist, but if you don't think they exist already, um, you know, like they do. Um, but here, here, I'll throw one last thing to you about how challenging this is, and that, sure. that's this year, Jeff. So, right now, I think for the longest time, Linus Allmark was the clear cut Besant Trophy winner, right? He's yeah. been passed in cool. goals saved above expected by UC Saros. But when I go to adjusted save percentage, um, it's still Linus Allmark, number one in the league at 2.8%. You know, almost half a percentage point better than UC Soros in third place. So the difference there, goal saved Mm -hmm. above expected, is obviously cumulative, right? So UC is playing Mm -hmm. a lot more and probably deserves credit for maintaining a high level while playing a lot more games are we going to really punish right. Linus Allmark, who on a shot-by-shot basis is the best goalie in the NHL this year? Are we going to punish him because the Boston Bruins are, A, they have Jeremy mm-hmm. Swayman, but B, they're looking yeah. forward to making sure they're more of a tandem and he's rested in the playoffs? Like That's how difficult this discussion is. Even with the numbers in front of us, you can still have an argument in either direction for both guys.
1: I would hand it to you. I would hand it to Valaket. I would hand it to McKenna. There's uh, a lot more people. And thankfully, I won't have the stress of this one. This is one of the ones that I don't get to vote on, thankfully, because much like the managers, I would probably mess it up, Kevin. I would probably mess it up. Um, Listen, bud, we got to hustle. This has been great, as always. Um, Thanks so much for this. And uh, I feel you with the Vancouver Canucks goaltenders. Um, Tough to evaluate. Thank you for entertaining my soliloquies about Jill Malosh, and I do want you to think about one thing. If that Uh guy whose picture is over my shoulder right now were on the Montreal Canadiens, your tattoo would not be of Ken Dryden. It would be of Jill
0: Malosh. Over your shoulder and on mine, my friend.
1: (laughs) That's what we're saying. Thanks, buddy. You be good. All the best. The great Kevin Woodley uh, from InGoal Magazine, and if you are a uh, a young goaltender or you have a son or daughter who's a goaltender, um, that is one you should subscribe to. Some of the stuff that they do at InGoal uh, really interesting, really fascinating, and really instructive, and can help a lot of young goaltenders. Uh, Kevin does great work, uh, and everyone there does as well. We will uh, we'll hit a break. We'll co- that was fascinating. It's always good with Kev. I'm going to come back with Karele Mar. Now Cortex uh, has now branched off. Uh, into women's hockey as well. They will now represent uh, women's hockey players. Karela Mard, uh heads up that division for Cortex. We'll talk to her in a couple of moments. And I wonder, I just wonder if this is an indication that we could be seeing a new women's league launching maybe sooner than later. One of the questions we'll ask Amara when she joins me here in a couple of moments. Kareli Mard, stay tuned. Uh, She's next as the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet radio network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Keep it here.
4: Big opinions and in
0: depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The JD Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Okay, very quickly here, I just got a, uh, a tweet from a gentleman by the name of Rick talking about the Quebec Pee Wee Tournament with Colby Armstrong last hour. He says, I played at the Quebec Pee Wee Tournament in 1972. Wow what an experience myself and two teammates billeted with a family with two young boys played mini sticks in the living room with them. I remember they spoke almost no English signing autographs at the college before games, we all knew in for all we knew in French was we and no and see you play played with the Barry Flyers double a at the time. Enjoy the experience Colby Armstrong. And as I mentioned as well, uh, Trading of pins is huge at the Quebec Pee Wee Tournament and the most sought-after pin, uh, the CFA Fury, the girls' team, uh, who now for the first time in the Quebec pee Tournament having some success, and the first girl to score a girl at the Quebec pee tournament, Annabelle Mallet. Get that on woman's name, young woman's name on your radar. Congratulations to Annabelle Mallet of the CIFA. Fury. Maybe she's on Corel Emard's radar. We're not sure. Uh, Cortex Management and a representation company has launched a a women's division. They will now start representing uh, female hockey players. Uh, Karel Emard joins me now. She's now the director of women's hockey for Cortex. Corel, uh, thanks so much for doing this today. How are you? I'm
4: great. Thanks for having me, Jeff.
1: Uh, you the pleasure the, is all mine. Uh, you said Annabelle
4: mallet right? So I'll I'll keep that in mind first. Uh, First female yeah, to so, score in the Pee Wee Tournament, so I'll have that.
1: <laughs> first, for, first female to score the Quebec Pee Wee Tournament. I got a note right away from a buddy of mine because he's, he's down there watching, I believe, his his nephew play. And he's like, you have to see this team, the SeFA Fury. And he sent me a picture of the pin and it's huge and it's beautiful. And he started texting me about Annabelle Mallet and, you know, good good on her and good on the seFA the Fury. And I was just talking to Colby Armstrong and he's saying it's the most sought after pin at the Quebec Pee Wee Tournament this time around. Everybody wants to get the uh, the Fury pin. So, ça c'est bien, Come on dit en français, ça c'est bien. So, wh- wh- why this why this jump for you? I mean... Anyone that knows you uh, knows, A, you're a really hard worker, um, knows a lot about your work with Sport Logic as well. You're a podcaster. You do a lot of different things. Why was this attractive to you?
4: Um, you know, I think I think in, I guess, where I'm at now and where I'm going and the passion that I've always kind of had uh, in me to grow the women's game and grow uh, our sport in general, I think this opportunity was kind of like a no-brainer, if I can put it that way for me. Um, you know, it's, yeah. I've been pushing as a player forever, I will say now. <laughs> well, I guess that doesn't make me sure. any younger by any means, but uh, being able to actually <laughs> <laughs> to actually provide um, and, and kind of like, you know, uh, establish these new services on the women's side uh, is like something I, I always cherish and, and wanted to do and just bring more visibility uh, how can we make their lives easier? Mm-hmm. How can they have it easier than I had it? And all of us, basically, uh, have had it in the past since we graduated. So um, it's, it's uh, I said it before, but it's close to my heart, and I think it was a no-brainer and, and something I, truthful, I truly wanted to do and, and kind of uh, keep pushing for us, yeah.
1: When uh, when passion meets hard work, great things happen. Um, what was it about <laughs> Cortex specifically? Like I, I know a lot of the people there... Uh, I know about this, you know, tremendous facility they have in in Montreal. We know all about the growth uh, of Cortex. Uh, why them specifically? With you?
4: Well, it's 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 kind of I've known the family for a little while now. I've been uh, I've been friends, I guess, for over almost six to seven years, or, or we've known each other, you and I, and and you know, you're always sitting down and having conversation and seeing how they can potentially help, how they cannot, or how what else is there to do, or, or you know. What can we do to help women's hockey? And and when we had this actual business conversation, uh, both of our values met right away. And, you know, Cortes being well-established and and having these services in-house and that they've been offering on the men's side for not a little while. um, It was was something that I was like, first of all, nowhere to be close to know about, in a way. Uh, On the women's side, we have nothing uh, such as what they do for the men's side. And um, he kind of got me, uh, I guess, really excited when he was saying that we don't want to just, you know, help the elite group. We want to be able to help uh, the pro uh, pool as a whole and keep growing the game and keep kind of, like, minimizing that gap between the national players and the pro players. So, you know, he's like, we we have these services. We could bring it to the women's game, but we don't want to do it just, you know, as a an agency that's been working on the men's side and just transferring over and, and thinking we know it all when we absolutely know nothing about the landscape of women's hockey. And I was, he was very humble. He was very, uh, I guess, open to my experience and then what I could bring. And he clearly said it and mm-hmm. stated that he couldn't do it without me. So I was, uh yeah, it was just uh okay. Someone that values my, where I've come from, what, I, what we've been living and what we've been going through and, and wants to do it in a way that the women's will benefit right away from it and tailor it to their needs so yeah it was a it was a it was a great day when we had the conversation jeff i'm not going to lie to you
1: <laughs> <laughs> listen i believe it i mean it's it, it's it's exciting and listen you're you're right there like you're yeah. in it you know the people you know the dynamics Uh, Mm -hmm. you understand like this, like, again, this is sports. So like you understand the politics, you understand the relationships, you understand the people. Um, you know, when I, when I first got, when I got the note, when I got the, the press release from Cortex, you know what my first thought was? My first thought (laughs) was, okay, Cortex is a really, really smart uh, smart group of people here, like they they understand yeah. the landscape and bringing you on you know uh, tips tips the hat to to, to that decision uh, right away. Um, I say to myself, okay, does this mean that we are inching that much closer to the pWHPA starting their own league like i've heard various reports like oh right now they 're in the process of putting together a cba i've heard a lot of I know that everyone's nda'd up around all of this, but you know the various you know big names that are attached to this. Do you have any indication or any idea of how close we are to the PW finally saying, "All right, we're ready to do this thing"?
4: Jeff, you've been uh, you've been on top of it since day one for uh, the PW, and you've been even actually tweeting quite a bit of information here and there that uh, you know you you're you you I can't uh, confirm and I can't decline anything. I I will state that we are like you know the closest we've ever been, and this is something I've been saying for yeah. years now. So I I get what you where you're coming from and what you're seeing here. Um, I think that you know, if you take a step back and you just see what have what has happened in the past few years with even the PHF and the salary cap uh, going and up the way they did and the yeah. and, uh, sponsorships coming in and everything. I think that we need to take that step back and just analyze a little bit of like these players are about to kind of like be put into a brand new scenarios, uh, scenario, sorry, meaning mm-hmm. they've never actually saw a contract for some of them, right? They've never even um, understood what a contract meant truthfully, because whatever I signed for yeah. the uh, CWHL back then was not really Yep. You know, I I could go left and right and it didn't matter. <laughs> um, but sure. at the end at the end of the day, like looking at this and where we're at and where the game is going, uh it would we would be fools to say that we're not this like close to have something going uh from both sides. And I think that the agency mm-hmm. and what we need to remember is not like they're not coming in and saying, Oh, women's hockey is now about to make money and we're gonna help him out. I'm seeing it way more as a the players are gonna be facing uh new challenging kind of questioning that they've never faced before, unless you were on the national team and you sign those contracts that they had there. So, uh, and even the PHF, like those contracts are getting heavier and heavier. So um, it it is for me, it was a, how can I, or how can we protect these players and how can we make sure that they have the right information and that they're making the knowledgeable, you know, decisions at the Mm. end of the day. So I can't confirm, Jeff, and you know, I'm sorry I'm not going to be the one to do it. But I'll be happy to do it when it comes out <laughs> and jump on your show and tell you all about it. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> right. I'll uh, I'll I'll keep snooping. I'll keep snooping. And de- well, you know, it's interesting. You know, you mentioned you mentioned the uh, the PHF and the contracts, and you know, the latest being Daryl Watts as well, and that really I think raised a lot of eyebrows. Um, but from your perspective. Um, yeah. Give us a snapshot of where the women's game is at right now in North America. Like, listen, we all understand, or anyone who's followed it even remotely closely understands um, what Jana Hefford is going through right now with the PWHPA and trying to come together uh, with a new league with a lot of very, very heavy hitters from California. Um, and we understand and we all know what's happening with the the, the Premier Hockey Federation right now who just made their announcement about the playoffs as well and the signings, and I just mentioned Daryl Watts, et cetera. Give us your snapshot of where you see the women's game at today, right now, Thursday, February 16th at one fifty Eastern.
4: It's in a great freaking spot. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, it's, in, it's in the verge of becoming something that we truly... I've been working for uh, from from both angles here, from both leagues. I think that what the PHF needs to do next is is definitely having some kind of like um, independent protections for their players, so a union probably and something that they can fight for their own lawyers, their own everything, so that the league can't change their minds and kind of like go different way. And then on the other side, yep. um, I think that the PWHda and what they've been doing and what we've been doing, I should say, uh, for the past four years has uh, been making sure that the girls are playing that we are reaching out to co- like sponsorships and people are believing in, in what truthfully we are trying to create and uh, the working kind of you know scenarios of making sure we have the facilities we have the traveling aspects that's just like a professional league the insurance everything that's related to a true professional league uh, and i think the phf is making some stride through that as well too so to be completely honest, I think that today when I look at it and where I was uh five or six years ago when I played for Le Canadien, I was lucky to be mm-hmm. in a in a in a in a franchise that had many volunteers and many people that made it seem like it was, you know, just show up to the rink and play hockey. Um and now where wow. we're at, it's it's happening and it's going to happen and where it's going. Uh, it is exciting, and I'm just so pumped for the girls that are about to be graduating because they will truly have choices. Um, they will have opportunities, and these these leagues needs to coexist. It needs to exist so that we have truthfully a after college type of development, and then uh, strive to go to the you know bigger, uh, best league that you can play into. If it's in North America or, or if it's in Europe, uh, everything is growing, and it's very very. Very fun to see and and be part of, that's for sure.
1: And it's great for Capital H Hockey. I always tell everybody this. If you're you're concerned with the growth of the game, then invest in the women's game because the bigger the the women's game gets the more rinks the more opportunities it's great for equipment manufacturers it's great for the whole economy of hockey and the growth area in hockey is on the women's side i'll just be blunt it is it's on the girls and on the women's side that's and if you're if you want the if you want the sport to grow invest in the women
4: well technically it's an untapped market right so it's a For any business, you know, you're looking for new markets. You're looking for reasons why we actually expand in the NHL in markets that we've never touched. Uh, There's new money and there's new ways to do it. So if you think in a business side of things when it comes to sponsors, I think they see it. And then from my side of Mm -hmm. things here with the movement with Cortex and the other agencies that will probably step up, to be honest, right? They will try. They will do. do. It's making sure that there's a standard across the board that will – you know, truthfully represent these players to their best interest, and make sure that we don't just, you know, uh, represent the top elite. We also do so- we also do something for, you know, the crowd underneath. Is yes, we'll we'll represent the national players on the top of like these professional leagues and everything. And I think that in the areas that Cortex have, you know, facilities like you mentioned it, Montreal and Toronto, mm-hmm. uh, we will make sure that the pro players in those areas will have access to the ice sessions with skills coach that they deserve to have and and you know that they get on the ice and they don't need to search i remember graduating and just wondering where the heck could i go skate or where should (laughs) i go to the gym you know because once you get released from a program it's you're kind of let let to your own in a way so it's making sure that we can be there to just guide as well too so representation on top of growing the bigger pool is is a must for me and it's a must for Quartex, and i think we're going to do a fabulous job with You know, the agents that we have on board, they're all very excited to help out. And and we do it differently at Cortex, too. It's it's everyone who's doing the collaboration type of work. So it's super exciting.
1: Yeah. yeah. And uh, make a nice environment for Annabelle Mallet, who scored the first (laughs) goal. Uh, Carol, thanks so much for this. Much appreciated. We'll chat soon.
4: Thank you, Jess. Have a good day.
1: Heavy on time. Thanks for joining me today.